You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? You're listening to the Good Pop Culture Club episode 122. My name is Marvin Yue, and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have formerly self-proclaimed professional Asian-American Jess Ju. Hey, Jess. Hello. Hey, Marvin. How's it going? It's good. Um, you know, every it's great, like, seeing, like, news come out about, like, you know, either adjacent to community or communities, and I'm like, I don't care. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. I love it. Yes, yes. Are you talking about the um, the thing that's taking over Twitter today? Oh, no, that's white people drama, which I thoroughly enjoy because it has no stakes <laughs> on my life. Um, but, you know, it's it's always the same story, isn't it? Man cheats. Mm. Everyone wonders how, why? Because, like, the dude's always, like, significantly uglier than, like, <laughs> the woman in like every single case and you're just like see it's not about her it's never about I mean, her. isn't the answer just because he can sure but like men have like like the most mediocre men have like I, I feel like it's like the most mediocre men and then they get like a little sliver of power or like fame and then that goes to their heads and then they think they're hot shit but i'm like yeah but just still mm. look like that so you know calm down <laughs> also joining us professional the most professional of culture editors han win Hey, Han. Hey. <laughs> Fortunately, I don't particularly need to care about it either, but um, <laughs> I think we might actually does, end up writing about it. Does it does this not qualify as culture enough for your desk? Well, so we are, and only because my, my one of my culture writers actually pitched me on it and is going to draw bigger parallels to, you know, Adam Levine, but also like John Mulally, mm. Mulaney and some other people. So... Um, it, it's it, it's going to be a bigger trend piece, which is horrible to say, <laughs> but it is a trend piece. Yeah. I well. kind of want all my friends who, you know, at one point worked for BuzzFeed just to like give me the hot goss. Yeah. I It's funny. I think I knew a few people at Buzz, BuzzFeed, but nobody there currently. I mean, those early days were like the Wild West, right? It's a ton yeah. of like I, crazy shit I, going on. <laughs> I also interviewed with them and got to a certain level and then um, got ghosted (laughs) (laughs) after I did probably a pretty bad job of trying to edit a story, whatever. Uh, But, you know, uh, it's fine. I think knowing what I know about BuzzFeed, I would probably would have been fine, like staying out of it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're not joining BuzzFeed to do journalism, you know. Actually, yeah, I, and it was early also, days, their journalism, like their actual like journalism side was actually yeah, pretty good. They've done some really good journalism. And uh, but the thing is, it is also just like a factory over there. So mm. I do. I'm not under any false pretenses. I, I understand that it probably would have been just as harrowing being over there um, <laughs> and wherever I was previously. So. It got me through a lot of college classes. Yes. As, so. as long as I can like take a few, you know, quizzes, I'm fine with that for right now. <laughs> and I mean, indirectly, it gave us Abbott Elementary, right? So some good things came out of it. Oh, right. Quinta. <laughs> well, we're not here to talk about white people drama. We're here to talk about <laughs> Asian, not drama, but news. Uh, we're here to talk about the drama. Asian American entertainment news of the past month in our monthly Do We Want This segment. Um, but before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture has been getting us through this week. Um, Han, what's popping? <laughs> so I'm still on my uh, K-drama, K-rom-com kick. And I went a little bit in the archives uh, for a 2016 series called Cinderella with Four Nights. I kind of hate the title, but, you know, it, it, it at least is helpful for me remembering what it is because a lot of these titles are like, my love's so great. And I'm just like, which one is that one? Um, <laughs> so this one I particularly got um, recommended a while back um, because it stars uh, Park Sodam, who was played the daughter of the grifters in parasite um so she was the sister basically and who and she also had like a really great breakout role there so i was like oh yeah so i finally checked it out and um let's see the good and the bad of it i do have to say if you are definitely into that sort of boys over flowers multiple you know 
uh, rich guys love interest sort of thing, <laughs> then this is for you. Um, I think uh, her character is actually super charming. She's so cute. Uh, she has like really short hair and she just wears track suits. She's a really uh, spunky, mouthy kind of girl who also like is a black belt in Taekwondo. And so and and she's very um Let's see. Has a lot of integrity when it comes to not. Um, uh, she she she's not. She's poor. You know. She is the Cinderella type, um, and so she doesn't necessarily take the job to be rich um, because she gets a job working or living in this house with these rich guys. It's very odd. Like the grandfather of uh, one of those those uh, companies conglomerates um, hires her to. Uh, sort of set his grandsons straight. All of their fathers are dead. Um, and each of them have issues. One guy's a playboy. One guy is a musician, pop star. And one guy is sort of a rebel who is, you know, not used to being rich because he was an orphan before. Ah, <laughs> you know, oh, there are the so, trauma. Yeah. There are so many parental deaths. Like, I don't think anyone on there has like a full nuclear family. Um, <laughs> and uh, so... The thing I would say about is by the time you get to like episode five, for some reason, there are so many flashbacks. There are actually flashbacks to moments like a minute before. And it's got to the point where I could like, I was like, oh, the music's kicking in. I'd fast forward through the <laughs> flashback. Um, so it, out of 16 episodes, I think it could have easily been about 10 uh, without all the flashbacks. Because I think the flashbacks wasn't just going back to their past to show trauma, but they were also to reveal their inner monologue, which, you know, we we just saw it. We don't need it again. So that's probably the part I did not like. Um, they I also, believe that's what we call the Naruto problem. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. They also have six, maybe six songs that they kept on rotation. But um, I have to say, by the end, I think I liked them. <laughs> so um, it's hard to say. But I did really like her and her main love interest. I will not give away who uh, she ends up with. Um, when when I say four knights, one of them is supposedly the uh, secretary of the grandfather. So I don't know if he really counts because he's also considered staff and she is too. I don't know. It's really weird. Um, but uh, I enjoyed it. It's it's t- terribly teen. But um, she is just so winning. And her, the chemistry that she has with the three guys are is actually really good. So I enjoyed that part of it. It was actually funny in moments. I mean, listening to your synopsis, I want to... S- <laughs> think that this is actually a story about worker solidarity but i have a feeling oh yeah no 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 no. this is very much like you still are in that sort of propaganda for um i in all of this i I would want this to be about unions and um (laughs) and no that is why now i am watching hometown cha-cha-cha because this is like the opposite of the capitalism that we see but did you hear about the guy on that show Oh no! Wait, no. But I'm not going to read about it until I finish watching the show. So, <laughs> oh, speaking damn of, it. I damn mean, it. <laughs> this, it's it's an episode about drama. This is this is our drama episode. Just talking about <laughs> dudes who just can't, you know, can't help themselves. I guess. I guess not. Oh, <laughs> I mean, no. those early, like the way you described it's, it reminds it's me. It's wild. Of those, it's it's like, wild. Yeah, those early K dramas, which is like all about like. It's kind of Stockholm syndrome because it's like mm-hmm. they end up falling in love with like abusive, emotionally the abusive worst men. One. Yeah. But then you, but, but then like Han said, Marvin. you end up saying, you know what? I can see that happening. I could believe in this love because you oh, also yeah, 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 yeah. experienced Stockholm syndrome well, from well, these terrible men. How, I, I've only watched maybe, I'm not counting Squid Game because that doesn't really <laughs> fall in this category, but I've seen about what, three in the past three weeks. And the amount of times guys grab someone's arm and yank them, I'm just like, what is going on? And so I was like, is this a move that like people are expecting? Um, no, don't do that. Kids, yeah. don't do that. Don't lay hands on on someone else without their permission. Um, uh, so anyway, um, so that's Man. fine. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I don't know if I'm excited about this um, spiral into the abyss of classic K-dramas that you're going on, but <laughs> I feel like there's a piece there for you at some point. Well, I'm going to check out a couple that just recommended me. I'm really excited about those because they have to do with one of my favorite tropes, which is, you know, the woman dressing up like a... Um, Masquerading as a man, 
Oh, oh, apparently, I realized uh, in talking to Han that like those are the only ones I watch. Apparently, <laughs> like cross-dressing ones. Which Is this I'm like, yeah. the period one or the coffee one? Coffee, the coffee one. one. And the there's another one, one about will... bands, like K-pop yeah. bands. I will so, check out the period drama one because that stars the attorney Wu. Um, <laughs> so what this tells me is also Han is searching out for body of work of all the cast members of Parasite because Rich Dad is in the coffee one. Oh, I'm excited about that. Yes, I'm already starting to recognize moms in uh, in other shows and that who are playing like the the servant in another show you know so um i'm starting to recognize faces if not all names quite yet i want to say rich dad is the um one of the love interests right it's been a while i honestly (laughs) i don't remember anything except the beauty of gong yu you know slappy slap man in squid game yeah and it is it is 2007 for coffee prince so it's very possible that he is a love interest the uh, the dad in squid game i'm not squid game parasite but <laughs> what i will say is i have to pay for those so i need to find make sure that uh, when i get one month that i can watch them um straight <laughs> so that's that's the only reason why i haven't watched them yet because i was like well if i pay for it now i might not be able to finish in in a month so I need yeah it's been tough ever since um i'm assuming you're watching it on vicky because they pay yeah, a ton vicky. of their stuff like mm-hmm. a lot of the classic stuff is paywalled now which is sad yeah. but you know yeah so I'm going to do some classics, but um, Netflix actually cranks out maybe one or two uh, new series a month. So I'll probably check those out. But I have noticed that there are definitely ones I do not want to watch. I, I'll try them and I will actually give it a thumb da- thumbs down after <laughs> like 20 minutes because I'm like, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it a try and give it a try. And some of them are just like, this is bad video quality. I can't even do it. <laughs> so not all of them are the same. Oh, all right. Jess, what's popping with you? So I started a new series on Hulu called Reboot. And this is like this is like a Hulu person's wet dream or like an algorithm programmer's wet dream. Literally, like it just popped up as like, you know, the like now on Hulu. And I'm like, oh, this looks fun. Like I like everyone in this cast. I mm-hmm. gave it a shot. Love it so far. So it stars um, again, a bunch of everyone's favorite actors who are usually, I feel like, second players. So it's um, Keegan-Michael Key, Judy Greer, who I fucking love. And like, yes. she, she's always like the best friend in the rom-com, but like very, always very, very funny. Uh, Johnny Knoxville acting, mm-hmm. and he's great. Krista Marie Yu, um, mm. playing it like a person actually closer to her age and not like a 16-year-old for once. <laughs> so very happy for her. And uh, and Rachel Bloom, who I'm not, you know, I, oh. I think this might be her first big regular role since Crazy, Crazy Ex. Ex-Girlfriend. Um, and Paul Reiser, you know, of OG, you know, third uh, party, what's the camera? Single multi-cam, uh, you know, sitcoms. Mad but about whole, you. Yes, but the whole premise is, um, and this is just like very low-hanging fruit for, you know, media, West, you know, coastal media elites, but th- the premise of the show is that there was a 90s multi-cam sitcom called Step Up about a mixed family, you know, with stepchildren, an interracial, interracial relationship, <laughs> and they are going to do a reboot. So the show's about the reboot of this sitcom, and but it is a single cam. Um, it's not... It, it gives me some 30 Rock vibes, but not as acidic, which isn't surprising given that it's Steve Leviathan. Levitan. Who, Levitan. I always say Leviathan, like, you know, the monster <laughs> in the ocean. Um, but, you know, he has monstrous amounts of money because he did Modern Family. So a little more, you know, biting than Modern, somewhere in between Modern Family and 30 Rock. But I just love the meta stuff. I fucking love anytime there's like a show within a show concept or a movie within a movie concept uh, that gets me Krista Marie Yu plays the Hulu executive uh, which must be really fun and there's a lot of jokes about like the writers versus the actors what the executives want you know they stunt cast like a social media influencer who can't act uh, to play um, the starter and there's like a twist at the end of the pilot and again it's very much at least what my world was and now it's fun to like watch it as like a you know, consumer. Uh, very funny. There's a lot, you know, they're they're playing a little with like the whole racial aspect. So Keegan Michael Key is like the most classically trained actor, but he's like a Yale educated actor, but you know, all he can get are roles, you know, playing thugs and gangsters. 
Uh, Judy Greer was a duchess, but you know, caught her husband having an affair, so has to divorce him and now has to go back to work. It's oh, and the best part, which um, I, I also am guilty of this, they keep forgetting the child actor. <laughs> like he's grown up and he's not cute anymore, mm-hmm. so they keep forgetting about him. They're like, Who are you? Um, and mm-hmm. I just forgot about, about him too. Uh, but yes, there is a former child actor who is in uh, the character. A uh, really funny on Hulu. They can cuss. Um, it must be really fun to for actors to play like behind the scenes people. Yeah, and I also really like it when actors have to play characters who act because <laughs> it's like just multiple layers. So you know they're playing the character who then has to play like a very heightened like sitcom. Uh, way of performing um it's great would recommend yeah yeah i feel like um workplace comedies specifically about the entertainment industry for those of us who are like peripherally in that world mm-hmm. is like catnip it's just yeah i mean do you do you guys remember this old wb show like back when it was still wb called gross point point yes. i was about to bring that gross up point yeah which is basically Loved. a meta show basically a comedy about a cast of like 30 somethings who are playing teenagers in a dawson creek-esque like teen melodrama it was really (laughs) funny it only like lasted for like one season i remember i was so bummed about that because i love that show and also it was a darren star thing so it was darren star i mean it it was more of a parody of 90210 than dawson's creek right because they were like in high high school I, i think uh it was. It looked a lot more like nine hundred two one zero, but the gross pointness is why I think it sort of also gave me those Dawson <laughs> Creek vibes. Um, yeah, because it was supposed to be like a very scenic, like suburban, rural area. I just remember this one thing where they're trying to shoot. They have to film a scene shooting basketballs, and there's just like some poor PA who has to like drop the <laughs> baskets while he's getting like. So it looks like they're making it while he's getting like pelted <laughs> with basketballs. It was great. So would highly recommend reboot if you like all that stuff. I need to actually check it out. It's been on my list for a while. I had screeners. I even attended the TCA panel and I just was like, what? More TV? Can't remember. Watching K-dramas. So what about you, Marvin? What's popping? Yeah, I started watching Andor, which I was very excited about over the last few months. And man, it was a pretty strong first three episodes. I'm glad they released all three episodes at once because it's one of those shows where it really takes like two three episodes to get going because it's uh it's it's not like other star wars series where it's more of a slow burn and like the first three episodes has more akin with like a noir than like space fantasy or space western have any guys started watching that yet that's the other thing i haven't watched yet i'm so i'm catching (laughs) up with both lord of the rings and andor um Mm. but i look forward to it because i love what did you say space western Space um, espionage, no, right? Noir, so, noir. Yeah, that sounds Yeah, space great. noir. No, space western was uh, Mandalorian. Boba Fett was supposed to be a crime drama, but we all know how that ended up. Um, and then uh, Andor was pitched as like a more political like espionage thriller. But the first three episodes, like the very first episode has more like Blade Runner vibes than Star Wars. It opens with Andor walking down a red light district of a corporate planet and trying to look for his missing sister and ends up shooting two cops who harass him. And then so the rest of the series is kind of him dealing with the fallout of that. God, he's uh, while so hot. Running around. <laughs> Sorry, everything you just said, I'm just like, what a man. <laughs> That's everything I want. A family man, you know, A-cab. Oh, my God. Yeah, the A-cab vibes are very strong. And it's really interesting. The first three episodes um, takes place in like this working class like um, planet where the main industry is breaking down old warships from the Clone Wars. And... There is the presence of like a police state, but the police state is run by a corporation that's been contracted by the Empire. So there's no stormtroopers at all, no imperial presence in the first three episodes. It's all just local cops. It's just capitalism. Yeah, I'm really digging it. The vibes are good. The dialogue is like heads above anything Disney Plus has ever put out. Marvel and Marvel and Star Wars combined. Like you can definitely tell it's written by a guy who's not precious about. like keeping with Star Wars canon, like um, Tony Gilroy, the writer, was famously quoted as being brought in to fix um, Rogue One's ending and saying that he has no love for Star Wars. He's just going to write the best story he can. You know what? Good for him. Um, Homie also <laughs> wrote Michael Clayton. Yeah. Fantastic legal thriller. And the, I mean, I don't particularly enjoy the 
Bourne trilogies as like a movies, <laughs> but like, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. Oh my yeah. god, he also wrote The Cutting Edge. Sorry. So, uh, what, a, what a filmography. <laughs> I, I love The that. Cutting Edge. Okay, that's okay. The, that's sorry. the figure sorry, Tony, rom-com, right? Yes. Tony Gilroy Tangent, he wrote, not only did he write The Cutting Edge, he also wrote The Great Wall. Uh, <laughs> you know, you okay. win some well, and you lose some. You can't yeah. win them all. You you know? Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Cutting Edge. Peaks and Valleys. I love the cut. To be fair, I think he just needed that check and they were offering, you know. I would take great wall money too. Matt Damon probably brought him in saying, I know a guy. He did the Bourne movies. That's true. But you know, good job, Tony Gilroy. Yeah. I think, you know, um, after the disappointment of the last, I mean, Obi-Wan was okay. It was kind of just mid all around. I don't know if you guys caught Um, Obi-Wan. I never finished it. (laughs) I started it. Eh. Yeah, so the fourth episode is coming out tonight in a few hours. So I'm very excited to catch up on that. But um, I think we'll definitely be returning to this show um, towards the end of the. It's a 12 episode season, so it's also like longer than any other show that's come out from like Disney Plus. And you can definitely feel that this was shot on location as opposed to um, whatever green screen land the last few shows have were shot on. Oh. I mean, we haven't even we haven't even hit the scenes in the Imperial Senate. I'm really like, I'm really excited to see how, like, <laughs> I mean, this show is just overt in its political stances. I mean, the first few episodes is just heavy on the worker solidarity, a cab this, and I'm just I love it so much. It's how's my how's my homie Stellan Skarsgård. He's great. <laughs> well, I love Stellan. Um, you know, if you're ever if you're ever really down, just go watch Mamma Mia and watch Stellan Skarsgård, the patriarch of the Skarsgård family, just have a great ass time on a boat in Greece. That man has range because he can play like an evil guy. He can mm-hmm. play a fun guy. He can play like, you know, like funny. Like the pirate dad. dude, Orlando Bloom's yeah. <laughs> barnacle dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he, and he can also play just like the most ruthless political operator you've ever seen and man what genes he produced some talented kids <laughs> ridiculously yep yeah and or it's good i definitely recommend it i think i think both of you enjoy it not only for the depth of storytelling but also some hot people in that show oh yeah i <laughs> like heard about Stella skarsgård <laughs> <laughs> i would have chosen bill i'm just saying again sorry tangent but like if this was my mama Mew moment i would have gone with bill Stellan skarsgård with the boat and the adventure. I that is a uh gap for me. I will at some point watch Mamma Mia. <laughs> but, I I also have never watched Mamma Mia, so this could be Oh my god. Okay, when are you guys coming over to watch Mamma Mia? I'll make Greek food. <laughs> oh my god, I like You guys that pick idea. a day. Yes. Pick a day. I will I will I will break out the feta. Uh we'll roast the lamb or something. Like, yeah, yeah, come over. We, come over uh, and we'll watch Mamma Mia. Are we also going to watch the sequel? Here if you want a marathon like six hours, sure. They're long <laughs> movies. Maybe not three hours but each, but like, yeah, close to like two plus. But yeah, it's a great we'll, time. We'll see how we feel after the first one, I guess. Okay. All right. Well, that's what's popping for this week. Uh, when we come back, we're going to check out the latest Asian American entertainment news and ask ourselves if we want this. Stick around. Podcast Asians in Baseball alongside Naomi Ko and Scott Okamoto. Asians in Baseball is exactly what it sounds like a podcast about the Asian and Asian Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Americans in Major League Baseball. Every week, we break down the highlights of what's going on with Asians in Baseball and then take a deeper dive into the Asian and Asian Americans past and present who have shaped baseball as it is today. Whether you're Kim Ang's number one fan or you've never even heard of Hideo Nomo, we've got something for everyone especially for the Shohei Otani stands. Maybe too much for the Shohei Otani stands. Listen to Asians in Baseball wherever you get podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Hello, I'm Phil Yu, and I'm the host of All the Asians on Star Trek, the podcast in which I interview all the Asians on Star Trek. 
I'm talking to actors, writers, directors, stunt people, background extras. You know, all the Asians on Star Trek. Find out more at alltheasiansonstartrek.com. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Live long and prosper. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. Uh, it's the end of the month, so it's time once again for our Asian American Entertainment News Roundup. Uh, do we want this? So um, let's start with Jess. What's our first story? Um, well, we just got some new world news from the Avatar live action series at Netflix, and ooh, it's like too, it's like they like dropped everyone. Um, so we already got the main cast a few months ago, and they introduced they they just announced twenty additional castings, which include George Takei, um, Irene Bedard, who is the voice of Pocahontas, which like for Disney fans like. It's a big deal. Arden Cho, who, you know, recently just was on the press tour for Partner Track. Utkarsh Ambakar, who people mm. may know from Never uh, Never Have I Ever or uh, Ghost. Pitch Perfect. Ghost. Or Ghost. The, Ghost, the American version, not the British mm-hmm. version. Danny mm-hmm. Booty of a duck fame, DuckTales <laughs> fame. Um, and. S- I think he's more Mom- known for community, right? <laughs> no, DuckTales. <laughs> yes. yes. You don't have to pander um, to me. It's fine. <laughs> I know my audience. My audience is Mar- producer Marvin. Uh, Mamona Tamada, who played Claudia in the new uh, new reboot of the Babysitter's Club. Talia Tran, uh, for who was a voice in Rai and the Last Dragon. And some OGs. You know, Hiro Kan Kanagawa is going to play Fire Lord Sozin, um, a.k.a. the, like... The, the grandpa, evil grandpa, C.S. Lee is going to be Avatar Roku, Francois Chow. I mean, these are like the OGs. If you don't Ooh, know their names, Francois you will Chow. know their faces. He's the guy who gets skinned alive in the beginning of Harley Quinn, just if that helps. He's, uh, as well as no, he's, yeah, George. He's, he's from Lost. That's how people know him. Oh, is that? I miss Lost. Sorry. I was not into TV when Lost was happening. That totally missed me. He was the scientist in all those cryptic videos. He's the guy who gets skinned at the beginning of Harley Quinn for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> as well as, you know, George Takei and Randall Duckham, who was the doctor in John Wick. Um, this Again, they join a, ca- a previously announced cast that includes uh, Dallas Liu as Zuko, Daniel D. Kim as Fire Lord Ozai, and, um, you know, Appa as Uncle Iroh. <laughs> Do we want this? I'm going to say yes, because Avatar, this is the cast we should have had for that movie that came out. Um, this is also the cast we should have had for the fucking TV show because there's no, <laughs> there's only white people on that TV show and the second TV show. And it seems like the forthcoming movies are also held by a bunch of white people, the animated stuff. So I remember a few months of, this is my hot takes. I remember a few, like last year when they announced like the two creators of the show, of the animated show were leaving the live a- action adaptation. I'm like, good, you leave. <laughs> You've done a lot of profiting off our cultures without actually paying people who look like us to, you know, bring their expertise and experience into that shit. Yeah, I I do have to say that this is a generational thing because I never watched Avatar Last Airbender, as we've discussed on this podcast. And because I didn't think it was Asian, I guess it isn't. (laughs) Um, However, I do understand why so many Asians growing up watched it. that came after me because of, you know, I mean, it, it was built to be like that. Like they clearly yeah. modeled it themselves after or the show after it. So I'm this is the version I'm excited to see for the first time. Yeah. And, you know, like that's the thing. Like it is a good show. It's well written. It's the characters are great. Like even the voice actors are great. You know, the actors are great. But like I'm trying to like my new platform is like you can't let the good ones slide by either. <laughs> right, we're all we're super critical when it's like shitty. It's like you should have done this, but like you can't let the you can't get let the ones you like pass either. Like you gotta hold them to the same kind of accountability. But what I love specifically about this Netflix adaptation is that they are really leaning into the indigenous representation when it comes to the water tribe. Right? They it seems yeah, like they, are they casted um, yeah. Amber Midthunder, who was previously on Prey, which we watched yes. um, without you, Jess. I don't know if you Sorry. caught it on your own, but. 
I I was I heard also it was great. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it's actually fun. And I was pointing out to Marvin actually that she is does have Chinese ancestry from on her mother's side, so she is actually straddling the line with both indigenous and um, Asian. Yeah, but you know, like just just the consciousness of what how they're doing this i think that's the right way to go about it um and it's roseanne liang is a co-ep on this she's i'm sure she's gonna direct a bunch of episodes and you know it all seems optimistically hopeful dare i dare i hope (laughs) yeah i mean i think my interest in this adaptation has gone up exponentially really since um last year when we first started talking about it or two years ago we've been talking about this for a long time and we've been pretty like lukewarm um for a while but it does seem like at the very least they're trying to do the right things or make the right moves have the right people behind it which makes it exciting like i like han also missed the boat on avatar the last airbender first of all because i did not have nickelodeon growing up but second like why would i want to watch like a white people a white person's take on anime when i have anime to watch like um <laughs> yeah. but i do you you can't deny that the way that they told that story it was probably one of the first serialized children's stories that gained like mainstream attention <laughs> and you know the trope of like the misguided bad guy who gets redeemed that like everyone seems to love that 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 trope that everyone seems to love in like modern storytelling has its roots in avatar the last airbender i think right i mean i think there's also like a lot of love for draco malfoy but jay the thing the the difference is like and i'll give them credit where credit due is like they stuck the redemption arc for zuko like it was (laughs) fantastic um just you know and also i think like the game of thrones like jamie lannister thing also played into that um the Draco Draco was not redeemed appropriately in my my no he's still a racist. Um, I mean, but Jamie Lannister also did atrocities, so I don't know if that really yeah. But like works. they were kind of justified. I mean, what's the atrocity? Like pushing I mean, the kid out the window, like I mean, or like killing the dude who's gonna kill a like. Oh, I can I I give him a pass. Are we all know pass. about your hatred of children? So I I can imagine <laughs> you being okay yeah. with yeah. The, with the child attempted murder. I mean, in a show where like a lot of shit happens, you you like, is that the worst thing that happened to a kid? Like, no, <laughs> he lived. He became the fucking king. Spoiler alert! It all worked out for him. <laughs> uh, but anyways, yes. So I think so far all the casting news is great, and I like how it was just like twenty. I like how they just dropped twenty at once. Like bam, 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 bam. It's like, oh, you thought we were fucking around. We are I not think fucking yeah. around. I think the pile on for sure is the reason why I'm like, what? Wait, maybe let me pay attention to this now. So it's kind of like you, if you thought you were ignoring because you've seen Daniel Day Kim before and stuff. Oh, wait, here's like 20 more people who you actually like too. And you can't ignore at least five of them. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And yeah. you know what? I hope we get more seasons and like more great cameos down the line. Like let's get every famous Asian face at let's get BD Wong in there, you know? Yeah. Let's get um, I mean I'm surprised Michelle Yeoh hasn't been tapped yet or Kihu Huang or any of oh, these other like recent names. In time, Harry Shum probably time. at some point. Yeah. yeah. It's, if it's they really want to If if, if they re- sh- show does well, what I'm excited is that maybe it'll make some names too. <laughs> well, I guess the good Papa excitometer is trending upwards <laughs> on Avatar, the live action reboot, um, which is fine. Maybe I'll finally watch an Avatar. Maybe, Do, maybe just we wait can... for this Avatar. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Han, what's the next story? Uh, so I got some Loki casting news. Not low key. But Loki. Uh, <laughs> so the first one is uh, Kehui Kwan joins Loki. Uh, we don't actually know what role yet. It's It was teased at D23 where he basically came out in a very cute way. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm at the wrong panel. Um, but so he's joining. There's really not a lot of information. Um, but, you know, he came from a multiverse film and Loki is a multiverse uh, show. So I think it'll be I think the possibilities are endless here. Um, so I'm kind of excited about that. But also Eugene Cordero, who was actually um, a guest star or at least was 
had a smaller role in the first season is being up to a series regular for the second season. And so just a reminder, um, he was one of the Time Variance Authority um, employees, you know, those time cops or uh, time fascists. The time fascists, wanna... yeah. Yeah. Um, named Casey. Time fascists. Yeah, yeah. He, his name was Casey, but then in the finale credits, um, we found out his name was Hunter K five E. So that's like oh. dun dun dun. So Is he's he coming back robot? with a bigger role. Um, so we shall see. Um, but anyway, do we want this? Yes, yeah. I love both those guys. <laughs> Eugene Cordero has been like a steam sealer in every show he's guested on. He's ha- I don't think he's has he ever been a part of a main cast. Um, yes, um, the cop show, re, not Reno 911, like Fresno something, Fresno <laughs> PD. Oh, right, no, the fire, depa- the fire department. Yeah, one. Yeah, FD, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that one. I never watched that, even though it, it had pretty- like a lot, a lot of the Broken Lizard guys on it, which would be my jam if I was like still in college, I think. Yeah. Hey, don't you, don't you disparage Broken Lizard? They made one of my favorite movies, Beer Fest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I also like that it kind of solidifies the tone um, for the series, which is uh, sort of high action because, of course, you know, uh, Kei Hukon is also stunt coordinator, stunt guy and action guy. So but also comedy um, for the show. So so far, season two sounds pretty interesting to me. Wouldn't it be wild if he just played Wayman in Loki? You know what? I thought about that, too, that he could probably just still be the same character but um for me it's just like well whatever capacity they use him in just like use him to his utmost that's that's all i ask (laughs) but then that would make everything everywhere all at once an mcu film i don't think i want that yeah yeah i think it's fine i don't think it needs to be part of the same canon because that's just would be too messy so i'm fine with it being separated um and he can you know he's already part of like the the uh, Indiana Jones universe. So like yeah. now he's going to be part of the MCU. <laughs> it's all good. I mean, I'm glad his, um, his comeback is going on full force. He definitely deserves it. Um, I'm curious what he's going to play. I'm just curious about Loki season two in general, just because all of the Mar- MCU, like expanded universe TV series, they haven't coalesced. Yes. Yeah, so we still don't know what's affecting what. And at this point I'm like, Again, at um, the last like D23, I was so like not even following or like really um, getting excited about all the MCU stuff because I've hit that like fatigue moment that I think just hit like a year ago or two years ago. I hit it during Doctor Strange (laughs) and the Multiverse of Madness. So just a a quick... um, it seem it'll seem like a sidebar, but like since you didn't pay attention to D twenty three, did you pay attention to to dumb at all? No, <laughs> is that back? We, is it we, back now? It was no, no, no to dumb the uh, fan event. So that was just this past weekend, and we got a Gudetama trailer. So um, oh. I am actually kind of curious about that. <laughs> anyway, um, my my story is also stemming from D twenty three. I believe it's D twenty three. Was it uh, or was it Star Wars Celebration? that this came out in oh no d23 had all fx marvel star wars etc right so there is a new there's a bunch of new star wars shows coming out um there's like a new animated series called tales of jedi which you know is by dave filoni and his clone wars team delving into more of like the history uh and like stories within like the history of jedi but uh, what caught my attention and everyone's attention here is a new television series called acolyte which is about dark side users and it's going to be starring um, Lee Jung-jae, who was the lead in Squid Game. Um, and also cast in this is one Manny Jacinto. Hey, oh my God, the cheekbones in this show. Ooh, that does, do, you, do you need to have like really good cheekbones to be on the dark side? Like, I feel like that's a prerequisite, <laughs> right? Well, first of all, do we want this? Yes, <laughs> Manny Jacinto and everything. Uh, yeah, I, do, I, I, yeah. I, I gotta say both of those love them. <laughs> Just love both of them. Also in Star Wars. So I, I, I do want this because um, I've always been interested in like, as we know, like Jedi kind of boring, right? They're kind of just mm-hmm. to like, they're just space monks that are trying to play cops. They're kind of all about like 
dep- like deprive themselves of any emotions or joy because that that's the road to the dark side. So I imagine a story about force users who um, aren't bound by that dogma will be way more interesting. Um, I am a little, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but it hasn't escaped my notice that the story about bad force users, quote unquote, are starring people of color. Oh, Look, I I think we'll see because I think if you're going to get these two people who people like so much, I think they will be maybe more nuanced. I'm hoping. I know it's hard to say when it's Star Wars. And I know uh, the Jedi Order has aliens and Samuel Jackson, so it's not 101 there. But I I hope what this show does give us is more interesting stories about like the gray between good and evil, which is where Endor lives and where... I'm more interested in it's where Andor lives and also where Rian Johnson tried to take Star Wars in The Last Jedi and where I'm more interested in those stories than like good versus evil. Yeah, I agree. I think this honestly, this film does sound like it's more so going to be about that than it is just the strict uh, finding another Skywalker, (laughs) you know, that type of thing. (laughs) So I, I, I have tentative hopes that this will be more interesting than the usual, you know, uh, easy, good ba- good guys, bad guys sort of situation. Yeah. Well, I mean, the series does seem to be in good hands. The The showrunner is Leslie Hedlund, who is one of the co-creators of Russian Doll, which yes. I haven't seen yet, but I've heard good things about. So I watched the first season and liked it quite a bit. Never really caught the second. Uh, mm. and, but, I, you know, Leslie Hedlund has done like just takes some risks and and actually has some like creativity so that's why also i think this might be a good one yeah and that's all i ask is just someone who's willing to take risks and since disney i mean so disney obviously is open to risks which is good because sometimes they're not all right uh jess what's our next story our next story Chloe Zhao's executive produced Vincent Chin's scripted series has announced that they've added Kogonada and Christopher Radcliffe to write and direct. So uh, this is the project that is um, that is done by the Chin estate as uh, shepherded by Helen Zia. Uh, so do we want this? Yes. I'm glad that we're finally getting a series that has the backing of the estate because there was that one podcast series that did not and that didn't end well. Um, I am, I do wish they got a Chinese American to direct. I think that's kind of my like red flag. And I'm not familiar with um, Christopher Radcliffe, um, his background or his work. So I'm not sure. I mean, Chloe Zhao being the um, executive producer I think is good, but Chloe Zhao is also not like she is 1.5 generation, one first generation. She's 1.5. She's also like the daughter of a billionaire. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't know if that's like, you, you know, a lot of times you'll see that when people can't get like the exact right, like mix of identities they need to be the creative lead of a project. They'll play what I like to call um, um, DEI edition. So they were like, okay, so if we combine a middle-aged, like, Korean man and a Chinese woman from China, that kind of makes a Chinese-American, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, and again, don't know Christopher Radcliffe's background or what his deal is, but also, like, you know, Vintage Chin is a very working-class story. It's, It's very set in this, like, auto industry and, like, that panic, the whole, like, racist panic against that. So, I mean... Maybe we need to throw that in there. Um, and I, hottest take, I just I think Coconut just boring. <laughs> His films are so boring. I cannot get through one without wanting to just go to sleep. I mean, okay, this um, this crew definitely has prestige points, right? You have Sundance award nominated directors, showrunners. Um, so I definitely see how these names came up. Um, but at the same time, yeah, there are some glaring red flags about this very like formative Asian American story that we all, those of us that know, learned in like Asian American Studies 101, right? Like this is like one of those stories that if you've ever studied Asian American studies, you know about the story because it's like, it's what formed our current political identity is 
the aftermath of the murder of Vincent Chin. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Kogo Nada is known for like his slow burn art movies. Um, As is Chloe Zhao. So am I just going to get like 72 then, minutes of like artistic <laughs> shots of Detroit? I mean, like, okay, I guess that's fine. But like, but then Chloe Zhao's stories are also about working class. Like, folk. that's true. Um, and I mean, it's just like, oh, I have like a very strange, like, like there's just so many different like attempts to like tell this story, this Vincent Chin story to like a mainstream. And I'm just like, like like is there a different way into this? I'm I'm kind of surprised the series just isn't about Helen. Maybe it is about Helen. Um, Helen Zia, you know who? I mean, maybe who, it is. Maybe that's the real story: is the aftermath and what happened, how a community. Yeah, came because like, the aftermath, like the story itself, that's a movie. That's not a TV series. That's like a Fruitvale Station, like a day in the life of this guy who's about to get married. That ends in tragedy, yeah. right? Yeah, but I mean, the story of Vincent Chin is that he gets murdered. Like, and part of me just feels like so sad that like that is the extent of his story and i mean i'm not telling you but they said of his story as like a human being but like you know he obviously had a life and like was gonna get married and a beloved son but i'm like oh like we know vincent because he was killed and then a bunch of things happened around then that just that's kind of a bummer um <laughs> and like he doesn't really have any agency so i think my problem is always the framing around like oh vincent chin got killed but i think that's the general tragedy of when something like a hate crime happens and like they become a you know now we would call it becoming a hashtag right like your name would become a hashtag um, yeah i mean that's how and, you sell it because yeah. what this show probably really is is a courtroom drama Right. I mean, who knows? I just, I just don't want it to be trauma porn. I don't want it to be like, oh, um, I, but the, at the same time, like I kind of want to be series like right now? the the Dahmer one. <laughs> yeah, that's like being done without the express consent of the victims' families. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks, Ryan Murphy. Um, thank you, Ryan Murphy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, just, I mean, it weird does, feelings overall. I mean, I, I kind of agree as far as like how many times does this story have to be told for it to be like for it to get the eyeballs and maybe understanding it needs, but also what other approach it, I mean, the story does, the report does say that they will cover the civil rights aspect of it. So, and since Helen, uh, Helen is part of it, maybe it would be maybe, maybe if there's more that comes out of it, like here's casting or whatever, maybe we'd get a better idea of what the format is going to be. Uh, the fact that it's a series makes me think that they must go into more than just the bad like trauma of the one in that incident. Yeah. So I'm hoping. I mean, also the but, trauma yeah. of like these guys getting away with it too, right? And you yeah. know, we, we talk about how many times does this story have to be told, but we only. I think we are only saying that because we've been like ever. Anyone who's working in Asian American anything. We're inundated with Vincent Chin stuff like every year. Well, what I was saying is how many times does this have to be told before it actually gets mainstream attention? Mm. And so that's why I'm saying maybe like uh, Kogonada is not my favorite either, but he is he also is known as prestige. And also he did direct like four episodes of Pachinko, which got a lot of attention. So maybe this is one more step and one more thing that maybe we'll get like more mainstream attention to this but like it, it's kind of like i still i agree like most people don't know vincent chin if they're not asian <laughs> so um <All> right. yeah <laughs> I, I i i'm just more of like i don't know if i want this but i will wait and see all right well i guess we'll wait and see to see what comes of this um there's no doubt it's going to be like a big deal a um, lot, lot of big names attached to it. Um, a lot of stakes too. I think a lot. I know there's a lot of people counting on this series to do well, so that more people will be aware of the story. But uh, yeah, um, Han, what's your next story? All right, I know this is what you're waiting for because it's the end of September, so of course it's time to hear about Hallmark Christmas movies. Hey! <laughs> yes, Christmas starts in the R months, baby! Yeah, you thought I was going to say spooky season, but no. We're <laughs> jumping um, straight to Christmas, straight to Christmas. I mean, the Christmas, according to TV, starts in October anyway. So, um, but there's going to be four new Hallmark Christmas movies this coming 
season. And by season, I mean October through whatever, January. And then, um, but three of them in particular have uh, some significant Asian cast members and uh, sometimes even Asian plots. So I'm going to give you a quick rundown of those three. Um, the first one is called Ghosts of Christmas Always that um, premieres the day before Halloween. See? <laughs> like, wait, what- <laughs> wait, wait. I thought there was an unspoken rule that there's no Christmas. No, no, no. after Halloween. No, no, no. You, Christmas starts in October now. Did you not know that? <laughs> it's been for the last like two years. Um, anyway, so the the quick plot of that is uh, Catherine is a ghost of Christmas present and she must help one soul, Peter, rediscover his Christmas spirit. But the year has something unusual in store. Eh, so the usual sort of things. And it, it's a family business owner. Does he owner. fall in love with the ghost? Huh? Does he fall in love with the ghost? Is that where this is headed? It's very possible. Uh, so here's the thing. Ooh, spooky. So it's kind of spooky, Marvin. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not like, uh, what's it called? Spirit of Christmas. Spirit, Spirit of Christmas? Is that Wait, the ghost this is Hallmark, love though. story? Is, is, is there fucking Hallmark movies? No, no, no. 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 It, it, it's there's, rated there's G. Chase kissing. Chase yeah. kissing. It's rated G. Um, so anyway, the stars include uh, Lori Tan Chin, who, remind me, Marvin, who that was? She's grandma in, in Nora from Queens. So yes. I'm looking at this photo and it looks like she has like an ascot on. So already I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but I like it. Um, <laughs> so we will. So that's one movie. The next movie, we're moving into November <laughs> called Christmas at the Golden Dragon. Uh, this one stars Kara uh, Wang, Asuk Chow uh, and a few other people. We don't care about them. Um, but. <laughs> The, the story is when Romy and Rick's parents surprise them with the news that they will be closing the Chinese restaurant they have owned and operated for decades. The siblings each find themselves reevaluating their futures. Also impacted by the news of the landmark restaurants, loyal patrons and staff who have all come to depend on the restaurant over the holidays. Um, so there that one seems pretty straightforward, but also getting an actual uh, Chinese restaurant. And moving on to the last one, which is actually in December, called A Big Fat Family Christmas. Uh, Liv is a photojournalist eager to make it on her own to get a dream assignment, shooting the uh, Chang family's annual holiday party for a cover story. She doesn't reveal that they are, in fact, her family. When she finds herself growing close to Henry, the co-worker covering the story with her, she wants to confide in him but doesn't want to jeopardize her big break. See, bad journalism again. Um, Anyway. (laughs) I know, like being like being conflict of interest with your sources and your subjects? Come on now. So uh, starring Shannon Chan Kent, Shannon Cook, uh, Tia Carrera, and and some guy named Jack Wagner. Um, Anyway, so... (laughs) It's like the whitest name. I actually know. I think I recognize who he is. Anyway, so do we want these? Yes! Oh my god, the the dragon Christmas dragon one sounds really cute. I really hope the I saw that picture. The romantic lead is white. I hope he is Jewish. Well, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I if it's a Chinese yeah. restaurant, you need the Jewish uh, clientele because yes. they did mention yes. that, right? Yes, um, I would. That's cute. In general, I have to say, since I've been following the whole Christmas, uh, Warren Christmas, and especially Warren Christmas movies in the past few years, um, Hallmark has gone, undergone like a huge um, changing of the guard, including the main person there is a black woman now, not a white man. And um, that's why you've probably seen them past couple years not only has the diversity casting been up but the storylines have actually been a little bit more interesting uh i've seen a lot more queer friendly content not just the side characters who are holding hands and they're married already so there's not going to be any kissing um but like i saw like something over the summer where like someone was by and they kind of just addressed a very matter-of-factly and i thought that was great so um i do have hopes for this um, and uh, the the Chinese restaurant one sounds so much more interesting than the usual <laughs> um, uh, boring sort of stuff. Also, since a lot of people, including the guy who used to run Hallmark, has now gone over to a rival network called GAC. And they took people like Cam- Candace Cameron Bure and a lot of other people 
and they're also kind of like fascist. Um, oh, <laughs> like all say, right Christmas movies? Yeah, all yeah, we don't need that. Movies, right? So support Hallmark this, this Christmas. We get, <laughs> we get we get Jody Sweden who got like arrested at a protest. We'll take her. We'll take her. Right, right, and and like that's that's also means that all the people still staying at Hallmark are pretty people you can feel good about. Like, you know, we have <laughs> queer actors who are actually going to play. Like Jonathan Bennett has been holding down that fort for a while here at Hallmark. So I think um, he's going to get another uh, gay Christmas movie for himself this year. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm there. They took baby steps for a while. And now I think they're kind of finally coming into their own. Yeah. I'd say I want this for you guys. <laughs> Oh my god! You know you have we, to come, we have to come over and watch at least one with us, Marvin. We, we got to watch the Chinese restaurant one. I think. Yeah, we'll yeah, order Chinese food and watch yes. Chinese. I think yes. out of the three that features um, Asians, the the Golden Dragon one sounds the most interesting because it sounds kind of like also a workplace, yes, style drama, which I can vibe with. Um, okay. And it's more of like a family drama. I'm sure there's you know there's romance. It's all obviously Hallmark. Um, like when I was pulling the story for our episode and going through all like 40 announcements, I did notice a lot of like a lot of diversity. There's like black Hallmark films. There's Latino Hallmark films. Um, I don't think I've seen a truly like intersectional one yet, but I'm sure you no know, baby steps will get there eventually. There's uh well, this one isn't super uh, diverse, but there's actually a film coming up this Christmas that um I got to preview at press tour and it is actually goddamn great, which um, so basically it's set in the 1950s or 60s. And it's about a young society woman who uh, leaves her rich roots and goes to be a rockette. And it's all about her training with the rockettes and being in New York alone by herself. Um, and oh. it's, I don't know how, what to say. It's kind of like League of Their Own, but with rockets. <laughs> and um, sold. No, yes. Less, less lesbians, but, you know, um, we oh. can't have everything. And how is, um, do you know how Lifetime's doing this year? Are they, do they have, well, Lifetime always does really well for themselves if, as far as inclusivity. They just never have as many as Hallmark. So they'll probably, and they probably don't start like in October. So um, I need to look up what they, their offerings are, but I usually have this sort of Tetris thing where I have to like DVR each of the movies on each of the channels in order for me to get all the good ones um, and all the people I like. And I feel like they have to be upping their game also because it's getting competitive. So Netflix is going to have a Lindsay Lohan Christmas movie. So I'm excited. Oh about that. my oh. God. Are we getting like the fifth Christmas Prince movie or something? Ugh, <laughs> what else could happen? I hadn't heard about that. So the, also I just stopped after the second because that was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing can beat the first one with the acorns. And by the way, Target has acorns. If you want to buy a giant acorn, um, I and stuff it. a constitutional amendment in it. I mean, there's yes. got to be yes. like a fourth Princess Switch, right? Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I'd be open to. I a would take Princess a fourth Switch. Princess Switch, yes. but I would. I would be curious as to say how many more Vanessa Hudgensons they can cram into. <laughs> like they should like shrink her down. And she should play her own kids, <laughs> and then they switch. It's like a parent trap kind of thing. Oh my god! There you go. There's a plot for Brilliant. you. There, take it. They should hire you at Netflix, right? At the Christmas department, because you know they have a Christmas department who's oh. in charge of this stuff. Oh yeah, this that's that's basically yeah on my list of things so, too. <laughs> yeah. So right. uh, anyway, that's that's me Christmas. <laughs> yeah. All right. Our last story: uh, Picture Start Nabs YA bestseller Iron Widow, written by Shiran Jade Zhao mm. for a film franchise. Um, Iron Widow is a story. Um, Basically pitched as the Hunger Games meets Pacific Rim. It takes place in a future intergalactic setting based on ancient China, where boys and girls are paired together to man giant fighting machines to fight against um, Hunduans, which are these like demonic beasts based on the headless chicken thingy that we saw from Shang-Chi. And basically... Um, it's a world where even though the boys and girls are fighting together, the girls always end up being consumed by the males because of what they say is um, because the males have stronger chi or whatever, like stronger spiritual pressure. And it's about a girl um, modeled after Empress Wu Zetian, who was also named Wu Zetian, who 
consumes the males she hides with. I saw the story and immediately thought of you, Marvin, and <laughs> I was very happy for you. Yeah. Do we want this? I think you want it. <laughs> yeah. I, look, this has yes. been on my TBR list for a while, and I feel bad I haven't read it yet. And they they also, maybe it's because they make me feel bad for being so old and not accomplished. Because <laughs> didn't they write this? Um, like, Yeah. Chiran like, J. Zhao like, is a very, like, they wrote this when they were... St- like they're Still like, like 22, Harvard, right? 23 years old. Yeah. Oh, it's this. Yeah. It's this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fuck them. Fuck them. <laughs> uh, yeah. Get on your accomplished high horse and get the fuck out of here. Okay. <laughs> we actually um, interviewed them for Books and Boba. And Ooh. they're really cool. They're very, um, you should check out their Twitter account. Very, oh, very. No, um, I follow They start already. a lot of shit. Yes, um, yes. I follow them on Instagram and I was like, okay, why am I following you when I haven't even read your book yet? <laughs> but because they're very entertaining. So I guess I will read the books, listen to your podcast, and then uh, maybe then I'll be excited. <laughs> I'm very excited, but I'm also very scared because this is a like what I really wanted for this series is like a, an animated adaptation or like an anime mm, adaptation yeah. because a live action one, I don't know if that'll work. There's so much just like CGI needed to make this world come alive. And I don't think we're there yet. (laughs) Well, who's behind it? Like, do we know? Um, It's picked up by Picture Start, which is, I think they are Eric Feig. Eric, Eric who who did Twilight and uh, he did Hunger Games. So pretty good adaptation record. I'm not going to lie. I I do think the Hunger Games adaptations were some of the best book to film adaptations like ever done. Um, so, you know, like, I mean, it, it seems like if they're gonna be willing to throw the kind of resources and effort and get the right people behind it, there's no reason why this can't be great. But did Twilight look good, though? But, like, people love Twilight. <laughs> yeah. Not for us, but people yeah, yeah, love yeah. Twilight. I, th- I think, yeah, I think the deal is if you love Twilight, you probably love those movies. And if you were iffy about the books, same. Like, I read maybe all the books just because it was the era that I needed to know what the hell was going on because it was my job. And then I watched one movie. because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> after that, I could just cover it without watching them. Uh, yeah, so... Um, Raymond sure actually read all the Twilight books exclusively while on the toilet. <laughs> like, <laughs> it took him years. Right. But he, he, he literally There's read like all four that. books. Um, yes what only on the toilet and i was like wow that's you know i respect that that's efficient (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah so yeah i'm excited about this i'm I'm happy you guys are excited for me i don't want to you know count my chickens where they hatched though because i was also very excited about jade city and that got Mm. shelved so So uh, but i am i'm always happy to see books i've read written by asian americans or in this case asian canadian about Asian inspired genre stuff getting picked up. And one of these days they will get made. And I think this is one that definitely has a good chance because um, who doesn't like big robots? I can't think of anybody. Big Maybe robots, the who giant get robots. killed by big robots. <laughs> well, this isn't about them. The child soldiers who are forced to pilot the big robots. They, they love big robots. And are your books that you read. <laughs> Besides them, who doesn't love big robots? Nobody. Fair enough. Fair Nobody. enough. <sighs> All right. Well, on that note, that'll do it for this edition of Do We Want This? Um, Jess Han, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? My trash takes are on Twitter at JustYouTweets. And I am at Anonymous. You can find me on Twitter at Marvin. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. We are a proud member of the Podcast Collective. Um, you can check out our fellow Asian American hosted podcasts by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. All right. So next week we'll be back uh, kicking off Spooky Month with Hocus Pocus 2, the sequel to a movie that I remember watching a lot as a kid, but I don't remember much about it at all. Very exciting. All right. <laughs> we'll see you all next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.
Ryan, what's black and white and red all over? I don't know, Robin. Two nuns having a chainsaw fight? Dude, inappropriate. Come on, man. This is supposed to be a podcast promo for our secret underground podcast, Quarantine Comics. Oh, yes. Quarantine Comics. The weekly comic book club where I, ace reporter Ryan Joe, and I, mild-mannered Robin Sutton, team up to discuss some of comics' greatest works. Or just some really cool comics that we've been wanting to read. From Alan Moore to Uzumaki. From Arrakis to Zendaya. From Adrian Tomine to Jean Lun Yang. You might not have heard of half the stuff that we're reading. Or the other half is just pop culture superhero stuff. They could just read the books with us, right? Yes, they could do that. But you could also just send us money. No, Ryan, that's not how passion podcast projects work. Why in the hell are we even doing this? Uh, I'm sure we'll be back by next week's episode. <clears throat> so, tune in each week to Quarantine Comics. That's qtdcomics.com. Set phasers to fire.